Morning, everyone. So as, as we've said, we're interviewing Jo Jones today, who a lot of you will know because she does a lot for this church. She's been here many years. Um, so if you could all just welcome her up with a round of applause. Um, Jo, we're sharing a microphone. Is that okay? That's fine. <laughs> we're going to have to juggle our notebooks and our passing skills and things. Um, first of all, could you just tell us a little bit about your family? Oh, that's my baby. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about your family and who you, you guys are. Who's the Jones clan? So, hi, I'm Jo. Um, I have three children, um, Ebony, Ellis and Taylor, um, and a lovely husband, Chris, who's over there. We've been married a year uh, on Friday. <coughs> Yay! <laughs> and um, and that's, that's, that's the Jones clan. <laughs> and can you give us a bit of history about you and kind of how you came to know Jesus and what happened before that. Okay. So, um, I was not brought up in a Christian family. Um, I did go to Sunday school for a small time uh, when I was young, but that was just because I got tired of calling for the girl down the road and she was always at church and I had no one to play with on a Sunday morning. So, um, I did go for a small time, but I wasn't brought up in a Christian family. Um, I married when I was 20. Um, it wasn't a healthy marriage. Um, I suffered um, domestic violence for quite a few years. Um, I persevered. Um, I wanted to keep the family together for my kids, and it was mainly me that was um, that suffered, not the children. Um, but the marriage came to an end and failed. Um, um, it just wasn't a healthy place to be for me and the kids. Um, which left me feeling massively guilty. Um, I felt like I'd let my kids down, that I hadn't provided that family unit for them, um, which led to depression, um, really bad depression. Um, I was isolated. I just withdrew, really, from um, my family. Um, no, not from my family, but from my friends socially. I was isolated. Um, and I just felt rubbish, basically. I just felt... Um, that was a failure, um, and it was really with the support of my um, my, my parents um, that I was able to um, put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Um, especially my dad. Um, I'm shaking. Sorry. Um, my dad became uh, my rock, my best friend, a financial advisor, a father figure to my children. Um, babysitter so that I could go to work. Um, when my marriage failed, I was actually studying at the time. I had to quit my studies because there was, you know, I was being mum, I was being dad, I needed to be the main um, earner. Um, I was also a safety patrol officer, as Ellis calls me. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was a struggle and it was hard. It was lonely. Um, you know, my mum and dad were fantastic, but there's only so much they can do. The kids have gone to bed. I can remember being a bit of a Shirley Valentine, hello wall. Um, just, it was a quite an isolated time. Um, I had to quit my studies. I took another job, just working nights, um, just so that my mum and dad could look after the kids on a night time. Um, 
so that I wasn't worrying every school holidays who was going to mind the kids so that I could go to work. Um, and so life continued, really. I picked myself up. Um, that took quite a while. I went for grief counselling. Uh, sorry, not grief counselling. I went for counselling um, just because I was so depressed after my marriage had failed. But I, with the support of my dad, mainly, and my mum, I carried on and um, just put in one foot in front of the other. And, um, and so life continued. Um, and then in November 2009, one Saturday morning, I got a call um, from my brother um, to say that my dad had been rushed into hospital. Um, they'd given him an ECG and said it wasn't his heart. Uh, my mum and dad were living at, in Doncaster at the time. Um, so my brother and I raced to Doncaster. Um, as we pulled up in the car park, my mum rang me and said, oh, we're leaving a &E now and we're going to um, an, ass an assessment ward uh, where they're just going to, um, you know, wait out. They wanted to do some more tests on my dad to make sure that he categorically hadn't had a heart attack and they needed to wait 12 hours. Um, so she told us where, where we needed to head and as we came through the stairwell into the foyer area, outside the lifts and ward one this way, ward two this way, my mum was met us and she said, oh, you've just missed him. They've just took him onto the ward. They've said, give us five minutes. Um, you keep your dad company. I'll go back and get him some, you know, pyjamas and things. Why she was telling me this, uh, telling me and my brother, uh, all these alarms went off on the ward and um, we could see all this rushing and commotion on the ward. Um, nobody came to... Um, to get us to take us to where my dad was, we could see they were dealing with an emergency. Um, a little bit of me worried, like, I hope that's not my dad, but my mum said he was talking when he, to the porters when he came out of the lift, so, you know, we, we, we just stood there and waited, and still nobody came to get us. Um, and then um, I was, like, being nosy as I am, trying to look in and... Um, and I said, oh, can I help? And we said, oh, we explained the situation. We said, but we can see you're dealing with an emergency. It's fine. We'll just wait. She said, oh, I'll go find out for you. And she disappeared into the ward. And a different person come back and called us through. Um, and we got took into a relative's room. And the emergency was my dad. Um, they were trying to restart his heart. Um, we waited in the room for about 40 minutes. Um, and then when... When they came back to the to the relatives' room, there was about six doctors and medical staff came into the room and just said, "We're so sorry. There's nothing we can do." <sighs> sorry, so um, so yeah, my whole world just completely fell apart. Well, for all of us, actually, my mum and dad had been together since they were 14 and 16. And they've really spent any time apart and you know this he was meant to be coming to fix my back door on the Monday this was like not meant to be happening it was just complete and utter shock we had to drive back to Stockton I had to break the news to the kids my dad had been like a father figure to them I had to tell them that granddad had passed away um, and it just left me in a I just did not know what to do with myself um, if there was one person that could, you know, through all the struggles that I'd been through earlier, and you, if there was one person when you sat crying and feeling overwhelmed and snot dripping off your nose, if there was one person that could cheer you up and, 
make it laugh, it was my dad. And suddenly he wasn't there anymore. Um, he was only 58. He hadn't been um, poorly beforehand. It wasn't a heart attack. One of the main um, coronary arteries to his heart had ruptured and it was just instantaneous. And the pain that he'd had previously was just a leak into the space around the heart. And when that ruptured completely, there was, there was nothing anybody could do. And I just found myself completely lost. I felt like I'd lost my left arm, my right arm. I just didn't know what to do with myself and I still had to be there for my mom and carry on and provide for the kids. And it was just an awful place. I just felt completely deserted. Um, that was in the November. In August the following year, I um, decided I needed to seek some help. <laughs> I needed to um, needed some counselling of some kind. So I went to my GP and I was like, I just don't know what to do with myself. I just felt like there was just this hole in the middle of the tapestry of my life and there was no edges to sew together. It was just a gaping hole. I needed a patch or something to, to fix things. Um, and so I was referred for grief counselling and by the grace of God, I got the same lady that had counselled me when my marriage fell apart. So instantaneously, I had that connection and that bond with her. Um, and my first day of counselling, if anyone's ever been for counselling, you go in feeling kind of okay. Obviously, you're there for a reason, but then you, by the time you come out of counselling, you feel ten times worse than when you went in and you just think, what on earth? Um, that's part of the healing process. Um, after my first counselling session, I had a shift at work. I went straight to work and did a two till ten shift. My mum had rang me um, late on the night at work and said, how did it go? And I, I couldn't really talk much. And I, there was a customer coming in to pay. I said, I've got to go, I've got to go. There's someone coming, there's someone coming. And I hung up. And this is where my lovely husband, Chris, enters into the story. Chris came in. I didn't even know his name at the time. He was just a customer with the weird hairstyles. We just, we, everyone at work called him Scary Hair. We didn't know his name was Chris. <laughs> and Chris came in and um, I tried to be my cheery self. And he, um, he was like, you're all right, Joe? And I was like, yeah, yeah. But um, he could just tell that I wasn't myself. And he was, are you sure you're okay? And... Um, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Opening my eyes extra wide so that the tears didn't drip down my cheeks. And he just knew that, you know, that I wasn't okay. And I just, the poor guy came in to pay for a tenner of diesel and ended up standing talking to me for like 40 minutes. And I was just crying. And weirdly, not another customer came into the shop for that whole 40 minutes while Chris was still talking to me. Um, and he just had such compassion you know, he, he didn't really know me that much. Well, he didn't know me at all, really. And he, you know, when I told him that my dad had died, he, it, it was just the compassion that he had for my circumstance. And, um, you know, he just listened for 40 minutes while I cried behind a counter in a petrol station. And it was ridiculous. Um, he gave me his number and said, you know, if you want someone to talk to, I'm here. And I was like, you know, thank you. Um, and from there, he contacted me a few weeks later. Um, he told me uh, when he was talking to me in the garage that night that he was a Christian, that he was from a Christian family. Um, and um, we st started meeting up. He was very supportive, and he was talking to me about um, God um, and pointing out the good things in my life that God had done in my life. Um, 
I kind of say he was like the warm guy for the main event, but he had like tough audience because I was not interested. I was like, I want my dad back, and that's the only thing that's going to fix anything. And I didn't think anything else could really could change that. Um, so, and, and Ellis started going to church with Chris's mum and dad, um, and then Ebony started going to church with um, with Ellis, and Chris was also pouring into me, and I kind of was thinking maybe I should go to church just to you know. I'm involved in everything else that my kids do. I should, you know, be interested in what they're, what they're doing. Um, but I didn't. I carried on going to... I worked a lot of Sundays, so... Um, anyways, in, um, in the following March, on Mother's Day, I was at work again. I'm always at work, people who know me. <laughs> um, and I'd done a double shift, six till two, and then two till ten. Um, it was Mother's Day, and a lady came into the garage who, I knew her, but not really. I just know that I'd seen her as a customer before. And she said, have you had a nice Mother's Day? I said, well, I left the house at five this morning, but I'm sure there'll be some cards and chocolates there when I get home um, this evening. And um, she paid for her fuel. She left, and about two minutes later, she came back in with a huge, massive box. I think it's like the biggest box of Thornton's chocolates you can get. And she said to me, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, three times. And I was thinking in my head, okay, I've worked here a long time, nobody's ever given me chocolates <laughs> or told me that Jesus loves me. Um, but I thanked her, it was really nice. Um, and that was literally all she said. She just told me Jesus loves me three times and she left. Um, I took my chocolates home, told the story to Ellis. Ellis thought it was amazing. He was like, yes. Josh Wilson was pouring into Ellis at church. I had Chris, I had Ellis. And he was like, see, Mum, see? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that was on the Sunday. On the Wednesday, I was at work, and I got a phone call from my brother. He said, I'm in Doncaster at hospital. It's Mum. And I was like, what? And he said, she's had a heart attack. You and Chris need to... You know, you need to get here. She's okay, but you need to get to here. He said, I didn't call you because I didn't want you to rush here with me and not get there in time, the same as what had happened with Dad. Um, so Chris and I raced to Doncaster. I was having panic attacks in the car. I hadn't been back to that hospital since the day my dad had passed. And I was just thinking, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this. Um, we went in... Um, my mum was in coronary care. She was okay. She well, she wasn't okay, but she was sat up and talking. And we said, what, what, you know, what happened? What happened? When did this happen? Um, and she, I thought she'd had a heart attack that morning. No, she'd been on her own on Sunday evening on the boat. Had what she said indigestion. Drank Gaviscon, even though the indigestion made her sick. And she was sweating. She still thought it was indigestion. Drank Gaviscon. Got up Monday, went to work. Uh, Monday evening, she spoke to her brother on the phone and mentioned it. And he said, I would get that checked out. So she got up Tuesday morning, went to work, drank Gaviscon, went to the GP after work on Tuesday. And they said, he's a spray if the pain come back. And um, we'll come for an ECG in the morning. So she'd gone Wednesday morning, they give her an ECG, and she'd had a massive heart attack. Not just a little heart attack, a massive heart attack, and we'd got rushed straight to hospital. And I was like, when on Sunday? Like, Sunday tea time? Why didn't you phone us? She was like, Sunday evening? She said, oh, it was about nine o'clock. And I was like, hang on a minute. 
And when that lady had come in to work on Mother's Day on that Sunday evening and said to me, give me those chocolates and said, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. My mum was at home having a massive heart attack seeking no, she shouldn't even be here. Anybody who's got any medical, you don't go three days after having a heart attack without seeking medical help. And she just literally should not even be here. And I, for me, I was just like, this is amazing. What is the odds of that? That la- At the exact time that lady was telling me, Jesus loves me, my mum was having a heart attack and she survived. And I went to church the following Sunday and that's how I became a Christian. <laughs> Sorry, it was a long story. I, I, do, I, I waffle when I'm nervous. <laughs> so... The theme that you wanted to do today was Jesus is my provider. Um, obviously, you've had, you've been through quite a lot of hard things. So, um, how do you believe that that is true for you? That Jesus is your provider. Um, where to start? Okay, so just the way that God revealed Himself to me at my lowest point when I just. After I lost my dad, I was just in the darkest hole ever. And when I think back of the lady coming in with the chocolates, of, of Chris speaking into my life, um, and from going to church and hearing about Jesus, I didn't give my life to Jesus the first day I went to church. It was about two months afterwards. Um, but God just, from just from scooping me up in that absolute moment, he's just freed me from that um, that absolute pit of grief and despair. Um, instead of being sad that my dad isn't here anymore, I'm thankful for the dad that I had. I'm thankful that God provided me with a dad who was so compassionate, so caring, put his own self to one side to help me when my life was turned upside down. Um, and the, the more I learned about Jesus... You know, even though my dad wasn't a Christian, he displayed that same sort of behaviour. Um, and the more that I learned about Jesus, the more um, that I just realised that everything I was sad about, losing that, you know, your parents just love you unconditionally, don't learn. Here was God, here was Jesus, who loved me as much as my dad loved me. And I'm just so thankful for that. And it just freed me from that grief. It gave me peace. Um, it just gave me that peace of, of, of not just, you know, sinking in that pit of grief that I was, the more I learned about God, the more I learned about Jesus, I was just freed um, from, from everything that was holding me down. I didn't need to be sad anymore. I, could, I, just, I was just filled with a heart of thankfulness, of just joy, really, that, you know, that, that I had the dad that I did. Um, and it's not, not, not just about my dad that, um, you know, that God's worked in my life since I became a Christian. It's not just that peace um, that, God's, um, free, that God's given me and freed me from that grief and pit of depression. He's, he's, um, it's just the encouragement that he gives me. I have a purpose in my life now. I used to think, like, I just existed. In fact, I used to introduce myself to everybody as Ellis's mum. I was just, I never used to say, I'm Jo. I was like, oh, I'm Ellis's mum, I'm Ebony's mum. So you see, I have that identity in Christ. I have that purpose now. Um, 
God's placed on my heart that when I lost my dad, I realised everything that I had um, that he gave me. But when I lost that, it just opened my eyes so that there's people in this world that don't um, that they don't have that that they don't have that family unit or they don't have that someone who looks out for them and um, now I just I'm just on a a mission really a little bit I just want to give that to people it's what God's placed on my heart that I just you know I know what it's like to struggle I know what it's like to be lonely I know what it's like to be a single parent and raise kids by yourself and how isolating that can be. I know what it's like to have no money. I know what it's like to be depressed. I know what it's like to suffer domestic violence. I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to, to be absolutely sinking in grief. And the work that God's done in my life, I don't see that as like, oh, look what's happened to me. I just think, I've been on a 20-year training course to help people now, and that's what I want to do. I want to, there's people out there that all around us you know, God uses the smallest circumstances to, you know, you don't have to be belong to a ministry team or be in a special place to do this work. There's, there's neighbours living next door to you. There's your work colleagues. There's people. I've had conversations with people at a bus stop. Um, you know, that's one of the things my dad used to do, talk to anybody. We all used to roll our eyes, but I'm so thankful that he was like that because now I talk to anybody and I just want to share with them, um, you know, that, that freedom and that peace and that... Um, that provision that God, um, you know, he can provide us with jobs, he can provide us with money, he can provide us with um, the material things. But for me, um, what's the point of all those things if you don't have Christ? There's, I don't, I, it, there, there is no point. You know, we, what use is it? It's just things, isn't it? It's just, you know, the greatest provision that God's provided for me is just calling me home, is just picking me up and putting me in that pen with the rest of the sheep and um, if God never did another thing for me then that would be the most amazing thing that he's done, that he called me, that I know who I am and that you know, I belong to him, I've got a dad that's not going anywhere now um, and has there been any verses that have been kind of special to you or stuck out to you or helped you in any way along there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a list, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, a few verses. So, I take a lot of strength from Isaiah 41.10 that talks about not being afraid. Um, I think that's really important. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Life is hard. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean to say everything's going to be easy. It's not. You know, we live in a broken world, and life is a struggle. Um, but with God, you're not doing it on your own strength. I mean, when Chris met me, I, I had more baggage than Heathrow Airport. I was like, I was carrying bags. I had hold-alls, I had suitcases, I had like Aldi carrier bags with bits in, and like, God not only carries these bags for you, he goes through them and says, Joe, what are you even carrying this for? Like, you know, he'd look in a carrier and say, you didn't need to carry that. So, you know, not only will he help you carry your struggles, but he'll even sift through the troubles that we, we're so good at hanging on to things that we don't even need to hang on to. Um, and, and so we don't need to be afraid, don't be discouraged, because, because 
God is with you. He will hold you up. Um, I am so nervous for doing this, but I just, how, I just wanted to sit here because I felt like, how could I not? I wanted to, I had to say that this is what God can do in your life. You've, you've just got to open your heart to him. you just got to, you know, I was a tough audience. I was not interested. I just wanted my dad back. And, you know, God just changed my heart. He transformed my mind. He just turned everything upside down. And he can, he can do that for everybody. He can do that for anybody. Um, so I take a lot of strength from Isaiah uh, 4110. Um, Philippians 3.8 as well is another verse compared to knowing Christ and Paul talks about compared to the knowing of Christ um, things that I want treasured and in some versions it says I consider insignificant rubbish like that is massive freedom insignificant rubbish you know who cares I've got damp in my kitchen? I don't care. It's insignificant rubbish. You know, compared to knowing Christ, it just puts things into perspective. It helps us not to be pulled down by things of this world. We're so easily pulled down by um, our circumstances that, are, you know, um, that come from the outside world. And, and, and in the Bible, it's just full of provision. It's full of where God's provided for people. Even in Genesis, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, they realized they were naked and God provided a covering for them. Like his grace and his mercy is just, it's just endless and it's from the front to the back of this book. And it's from, you know, even before I knew God, there's, you know, we recognize times, like how did I carry on when my marriage felt? Because God was there, that wasn't on my strength. You know, he provided that, um, you know, my mum and dad to support me. And it's through his strength that I carried on that I was able to work nights in the garage. I did not like working nights in the garage. I used to cry before I went into the shift because I knew I was going to get two hours sleep the next day. I had to still drop the kids off, be back up at two to pick them up and then still go back into work nights. But I persevered with the help of God without me even knowing and you know, God saw the bigger picture. He, I used to work in a potting shed of a petrol station. That place got knocked down last year, and it's now a massive, huge petrol station. I've gone from, you know, there's like from eight staff working there that I now have 30 staff. I just started off doing nights. I was just a cashier, and now, I, now, I, you know, God's provided me with a, a, you know, a chance to be a to be a manager, and I've got 30 staff, and it all, all glory to God. Is definitely not from me. And who would have thought 10 years ago that that's where I was going to be today? So, yeah. Um, you have also found that God's used you a lot through working with the town pastors. Can you tell us a bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, this really came from me, God, placing on my heart um, when I realized how, what I was missing from my dad. That I, I, that I got from Christ, that Christ came into my life and prov provided me with all those things. But when I didn't know Christ, and after my dad died, I was so lost and lonely, and there's so many people out there that are just on the fringes of society, completely lost, completely lonely. Um, and God's just placed it on my heart to just be there for them. Um, to, you know, to time, you can't buy time. 
you know, people just want someone to, to listen to. They just want someone to spend the time to just hear how their week's going or, you know, to speak life into their life. You know, people have sp spoke life into my life. God spoke into my life. And I just, you know, I, I feel like God's placed it on my heart that that's my calling basically now is to just, I just want to be there for people. I just want to help people. I just want to show them that somebody cares about them, you know, and, and, and through starting a relationship with me, then I get a chance to talk about just Jesus and that Jesus loves them. And that, you know, I tell them my story in a smaller nutshell than I have today. Um, but to show some people think, oh, you know, I'm not the right person to go to church. It's rubbish. You know, I used to think that, that church, you know, if you had to be from a Christian family, you don't. You know, church is not caviar, it's fish and chips on a bench. Who doesn't think they're not good enough for fish and chips on a bench? And that's what I try to tell people, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real, that Jesus will work in your life, that he will, he will, he will just turn everything around. You've just only got to press into him and be open to him. And I try and share that with as many people as possible. Um, and could you tell us, there's another story more recently about when God provided reassurance for you. Um, would you mind telling us that? Um, so last year, um, I was incidentally, the doc, my GP discovered I had a heart murmur and obviously because of my mum and my dad I literally give myself like six months to live and thought I was going to be pushing the daisies up um, so you know this is what I'm saying, even though you become a Christian life is still challenging, you still face things um, so we prayed about it, we prayed for the heart murmur not to be anything um, and on the day um, that I went for an echocardiogram. Um, the lady that did the scan was able to, she couldn't give me a full report. It needed to go to the cardiologist, but she said, basically, I wasn't about to drop down dead. Um, I think she just wanted to give me some reassurance because I think I was crying before I even got in there with nerves as well. Um, and Chris and I had prayed. Um, so we, we, we went in, I had the scan, and she was able to say, it's nothing sinister, Joe. you're going to be okay. Um, but you will get a report back from the cardiologist. So Chris and I, we left the room and we headed straight to the hospital chapel. <laughs> and we just wanted to thank God, you know, that it was nothing of immediate urgency, that, that I was, you know, whatever was going to come, I was going to be okay. And we prayed. And then as we were leaving the hospital, I needed to pop to the ladies. And um, I was sat there and I just, this doubt just came into my head and I just thought, what if they've got it wrong? What if I'm going to drop down dead like my dad? What if they've missed something? What if the cardiologist report comes back and says, oh, you know, we need, you know, this is, all is not well. Um, and as I went to wash my hands, um, God, just there in front of me, um, I think there's a picture. Josh can put it up. I saw Gojo on the soap dispenser. And I was just like, What? unbelievable it was like instant reassurance like god knows what an absolute worrier that i can be sometimes when i forget to press into him and you know 
It doesn't say soap. It doesn't say, wait, what is the odds of that? That was just like, and by the way, that is the actual photograph. I didn't Google it. I'm so sad. I took a photograph of the soap dispenser in the toilet, probably for just such a time as this. <laughs> so, and that was just like, I was blown away. I came out with my phone to Chris and he, he just thought I'd gone for a wee. And I was like, look at this. Look at this. I was so worried. I said, and God, just like, go, John. I just felt like God was saying to me, Joe, just go in peace. You've had the scan. You're going to be okay. You're not going to drop down dead. And, you know, even though the lady reassured me, that doubt still crept in. And God said, no, you're not having that doubt. There you go. As I went to wash my hands, it was instantaneous. And I was just like, come on, you can't make that up, can you? It's just, just proves that God is real. He's living. He's alive. Thank you so much, Joe. <laughs> What an incredible story. Thank you, Joe. Um, so when me and Joe were talking about kind of what to say today, it's kind of like, where do you start with Jesus as your provider? Because as Joe said, he provides us with everything, all our jobs, our finances, everything, everything comes from him. And we could talk about it all day, the stories. And Joe's got more stories if you want to ask her about how Jesus provided for her through her life. And, um, but what we really wanted to say was about how the best thing that Jesus provides for us is, uh, is his, himself and how much he gives of himself and he gives us um, counsel and wisdom and guidance and love. Um, so we also didn't want the message to come across as um, if you believe in God then everything's easy, he'll provide everything for you and life just becomes really simple because if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll know that's not the case. And that's not what the Bible promises us. Um, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will have persecution. And John 16.33 says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Joe said, If God did nothing else for us, he's already done enough. And I just think that hits the nail on the head of how Jesus is our provider. He's already provided for us our salvation. He's already provided for us um, an eternity in heaven with him. And that's so much better than, you know, a big house or a fancy job or anything like that because that's, that's going to last forever and it can't perish and no one can take it away from us. Um, as Joe was kind of describing this, this provision doesn't always look how we expect it to. Sometimes we pray for one thing and um, God provides, but it's in a completely different way. Like, as a lot of you know, me and Josh have been praying for a house for a long time now and it feels like years, but it's only been months. And um, when you start looking for a house, you have your list of everything you want or you think you need and how many bedrooms and this and that, and you start searching on right move and... Um, we found our dream house, and we thought it was our dream house, and all the estate agents, they'll call it the forever house, and, you know, with that perspective, it's like, actually, this isn't our forever house, this is only a house that we're going to live in for maybe another 80 years or so. Our forever house is already getting prepared for us, it's going to be a mansion, and it's probably going to have more than three bedrooms, <laughs> maybe. But yeah, he's providing the mansion for us in heaven. And 
the house that we're possibly buying at the minute doesn't have anything, I think, on our original list that we started looking for, but um, there is um, so many more important things than, um, than just having material stuff, and it's so much better to invest your time and your money in things that are going to um, live forever in heaven. Um, investments on the earth go up and down, but what you invest in heaven doesn't. Um, so what else does he provide? He's provided guidance. Um, and sometimes you can't see that at the time, but when you look back, like in Joe's sorry, you can see how he's led you through. And um, Sometimes it's when things look like they're falling apart, they're actually starting to fall into place. Um, speaking of jobs, the job that I'm in at the minute is just completely random, totally from God. It wasn't even the job I applied for. I applied for a completely different job. And it worked out that around the time that we were moving here, I'm now working right around the corner and getting to work with with people who live around here, and I absolutely love it. Um, but that was just totally God-leading because, like I say, the job wasn't even advertised. Um, I was speaking to one of my friends yesterday, actually, about houses and things, and um, they're in this position where they don't know whether to sell or, or rent their house or move to where her boyfriend's job is and this and that. And she just said to me, like, oh, I wish there was someone who could just, you know, tell me what to do or give me some advice and just knew how things were going to be in five years' time. And it's just like, oh, gosh, like... There is somebody who knows that, and you know, it's just we take that for granted sometimes that we have this like person that we can go and ask, and he he will give us wisdom and guidance. And um, like Joe said, the most amazing gift is is that he gives us of his himself and his guidance. Um, so let's not take it for granted. Let's not forget what he's done for us. Uh, that hope that he gives us, that we never have to feel that despair of, I don't, I have this gaping hole in my life and I don't know how to persevere. Like, Jesus is always there. Um, he died on the cross for us and for our sins so that we could know him uh, and that we could have hope. Um, so, yeah, although things aren't perfect in this world, that as we've heard in other weeks, we're not exempt from, from sickness and from loss and from pain, but we are exempt from death and from despair, and that is far better than anything that you can give us on this earth. So that's kind of what we wanted to, to get across to you guys today. So, um, yeah, tell your friends, because you don't know just by looking at them kind of they might look like they've got a nice, comfortable life and a comfortable job, but you don't know what kind of despair they're carrying around. And we have the hope for this amazing future, of eternal future, that we can carry around and we can share. So um, let's just go out this week and, and do that as much as we can. Um, and follow Jo's example. She just, she's a woman on a mission. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jo.